classes, you all know that I'm somewhat of a nerd. I like to look on line and see what uh, different statistics say and uh, read uh, what some of the academics say about what subjects we're studying. So we'll talk about some of those things today. Um, but you see what the subject is. Um, Y'all see my little uh, graphic on the right. Um, and of course, um, as we get into this, we'll realize that we know people that that's how they think, right? So, you know, one of the things that Andrew talked about, uh, you know, basically dying to self, this idea of uh, setting aside self, uh, that was, like I say, the subject last week. I've got this quote up here, Matthew twenty-three twenty-five. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Um, there's an outward appearance uh, that is good, but the inside is bad. And... Uh, you know, I think part of the message of, um, you know, this idea of setting aside self, the old man of sin. Um, the old man of sin is the ugly part. That's the dirty part. If we don't get that cleaned out of there, it's not good, right? So, I had, I've, I've done a lot of study, read a lot of papers on this subject, um, this idea of narcissism. I've taken the 40-question test. Uh, eh, okay, not great, right? Uh, if you take the 40-question test, uh, test that's been around for a really, really long time, uh, they say that you need to take the test with somebody who knows you very well, like a spouse or uh, some business partner, somebody who's dealt with you a lot, because if you would score bad, you won't score bad because you'll lie to yourself in the test taken. So you really need somebody to help you take the test if it's going to be an honest test. That's kind of what I learned about it. But this idea of narcissism, you know, uh, the story in Greek mythology is about this great-looking guy who looks in a mirror until he, until he dies. That's the short version of the story. You know, he's so enamored of himself that he just starves or whatever in front of the mirror. But um, this is a personality characteristic, uh, it says here, that's associated with self-absorption, egocentrism, an overestimate of your own importance and abilities, a sense of entitlement, and a disregard for others. Uh, so... Some of the things that we find, so this is a study, says one study, and this is old now, y'all will see here in the next slide or two, that this is a really old thing. I, I did this, I forget, it's like five years ago, so these statistics are old. So one study found a 30, that 30% of young people were classified as narcissistic according to a wide, widely used psycho psychological test, which is the one I took, right? You can find it. 
That number's doubled in the last 30 years. Doubled in 30 years. And so this is several years ago. So that was 30, it was 30% several years ago, and the trend has probably continued. I'd say that what this is telling us is that between a third and half of the young people that we meet now are going to fall into this spectrum. And when you hear grown folks talking about what it's like to employ young people or what it's like to deal with them, uh, you know, there's whole seminars now that you can go to that are professional development seminars that tell you how to deal with this in, 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 your, in the workplace. So that's how big a deal it is. But another study reported a 40% decline among young people in empathy. Empathy. A personality attribute inversely related to narcissism. And this is since the 80s, right? So when you think about what empathy is, um, and you think about what's said about uh, Christ, I can think about a couple of things specifically when I think about the life of Christ. But he had, uh, the Bible says he had compassion, right? Uh, and sympathy, empathy, and compassion are all going to be related, but not exactly the same thing. If you look up those definitions, you'll see what those subtleties are. But basically a 40% decline in empathy. And it's related back to being full of myself. Right? So... Full of self is not full of the good stuff. Y'all with me? So I have uh, this graphic. Whoop. Why is my graphic not moving ahead here? Hmm. So I'm looking at something you're not looking at. And the graphic was important. There we go. I don't know, I had to do it twice. So, this idea of uh, self-importance, uh, y'all can see how old this slide is. That's a flip phone the guy's got, right? That's a flip phone. So, this is a long time ago. And uh, when you look at this, you can assume some different things, but, you know, um, when we think about this now, I mean, do you need the whole world to know what you're doing today? Right? Um, when I look at that picture, uh, what are some of the things I wonder about? Uh, is he looking for approval for his choices? I got these glasses. Hey, do y'all think? These glasses look as good on me as I think they do, or whatever, right? You're wondering, you know, what's, well, okay, what's this about? Did he, did he just get that new haircut? Is he looking for approval for that haircut? Uh, does he think that he's setting some standard? This is something new. All my friends got these glasses and this haircut, so I got one, and I'm showing that I'm part of this group. What is it? I don't know. But... 
As we think about this subject as Christians, as you deliver the story of Christ and Him crucified, what's more important, the message or the messenger? Right? Now, is it important that the messenger look like Christ? Right? Uh, but what do we got to do to prove that? You know, how much about this is proven that I am uh, like the standard, or are we talking about the standard, right? As, as, as we're Christians, you know, this whole subject of self and self-importance, we're going to talk about self-denial, self-control, and self-abasement. That's the self that we're fixing to talk about. But what I wanted to bring up is most of y'all know that... Um, my job has uh, evolved or changed uh, significantly over the years, and um, it's gotten to where I train salespeople a lot. That's a lot of what I do is train salespeople. And, of course, uh, I've tried to notice and observe, you know, so that I can know, you know, what is it that makes these successful and what is it that makes these unsuccessful why why does this work over here and not work over here well uh last year at our big national conference you know they talked so much about relationships relationships make this work relationships what makes this work well if you start studying narcissism one of the things that really um make that not work in relationships. Uh, you know, this overestimation of one's importance and abilities. Uh, Andrew and I had a conversation about Calvinists, you know, and I, I kind of put Calvinists in a couple of different categories, but uh, the, the strongest, staunchest defenders of Calvinism, I think it's almost impossible for them to not be guilty here of that. They have to recognize that I'm special in some way, right? There's a there's either an intellectual arrogance there, or I've been chosen arrogance kind of a thing. But I see that. Um, but the sense of entitlement, um, disregard for others, and I will tell you in salespeople, uh, I don't. You know, it sounds like the national statistic for young people is you know one in three. Uh, in salespeople, I'm probably dealing with a lot worse numbers than that. I can just tell you it's really tough, right? Uh, and relationship management for those people is really tough. And when we think about our relationship uh, to God and our relationships one to another, this is an incredibly important subject, right? Uh, am I able to put to death self? And, and live through Christ? Am I able to put on Christ? Am I able to submit to Christ? Um, and see that disregard for others, it's often a difficulty to express gratitude properly. That's, a, that's one of the things that when you start studying it, you'll find it's very difficult. Uh, that blame typically has to be outward. Never accepting blame or responsibility inwardly, right? That's one of the problems. But 
you know, if you take this test like I took it, you'll see that you probably you probably got a little bit of work to do too, right? So uh, I think I got a 17 out of 40. I forget where it is that you get, you know, how high the score is that they say, oh, yeah, you got it bad. But, you know, I think that's where I was. And I think Miss Carey helped me take the test. So if you're wondering about it, I probably would have done better if she hadn't helped me. But uh, so um, with regard to that first verse that we read, how much time and money do I spend on the look? This idea of the outward appearance, we think about the scribes and the Pharisees, right? Um, and then, you know, a thought there would be given back to this idea of modesty. Generally, a lot of people think of modesty as, you know, what am I showing you? But uh, Gary and I taught on modesty some years back, hadn't done it in a while, but, you know, this idea of calling attention to myself. Doesn't necessarily have to be what I'm showing you. It can be what I'm showing you through, you know, symbols or what I what I wear. Do you know a cowboy when you see a cowboy? Do you know a motor guy who loves Harley Davidsons when you see a guy who loves Harley Davidsons? What's he wearing? Is it that he's showing you a whole lot, or is it he, he's sending a message? He's calling attention to something about himself, right? So. Um, you know, and this is just a, a question, you know, as I worship the Creator in song, am I wondering about my individual performance? Am I trying to stand out or blend my voice with those worshiping with me? These are just some questions as, as we think through um, this idea of being an individual member of the body of Christ. What's more important, identity or duty? Uh, Colston and I were talking about uh, the body and the head today in our class on authority um, thinking about who you are and this relationship is going to be important uh, I'm going to read this passage I think most of y'all are real familiar with it so just bear with me as I read it with you 1 Corinthians 12 starting in verse 12 is where we're going if you want to read in your own book for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body though they are many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason uh, any less the part of the, a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members uh, become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. 
But God has so composed the body, given more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And we can kind of think through this subject of being full of self uh, or self-important and how that would relate to this idea or this picture that we're given of the body of Christ, right? Uh, what a uh, hindrance to uh, this model that we're given um, being full of self is. So let's start breaking some of this down. Think about some of the ways that we would combat um, being full of self. And one of them would be self-control. I'm in Romans 6, starting in verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not uh, be master over your for, your, for you are not under law, but under grace. So I'm going I'm to look these up and put them up on the board. We're looking at uh, this idea of um, temporary versus eternal, really. Uh, so Second Peter... 1, 3 through 9, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 9, all right, seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence, for by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. For Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, uh, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brother kind, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For in these qualities... For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So, one of the things that I find, well, in this idea of Temporary or short-term versus long-term. Um, so in real estate, you don't work five days and get paid on Friday. That ain't how it works. You might work five weeks and not get paid at all. You might work five months on a project not get paid at all. But you have to be able to think about, I'm going to work towards a particular goal and I'm not going to get paid until the goal's reached, right? That's the way it works. So this idea of delayed gratification is important in real estate. And I can tell you, a lot of people fall out because they can't do that. So, you know, I've been learning a lot about folks and how things work last few years. 
messing with this and to come to some realizations about, you know, how we are as people. Um, and what I find is I study these um, secular, even atheist, psychological studies and business analysis, business personality analysis, is that all those things basically prove what the Bible says to be true. So it's very interesting. So uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. All right. Do you not know those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Wherefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. When we think about athletes, and especially like gold medalists and you know those that win these trials, um, am I going to decide that I'm going to get a gold medal in this year's Olympics? In this year's Olympics, running a marathon. And is that how that's going to go? Or am I going to work on that a really long time? Actually, I'm probably aged out, right? That's what I'm going to tell myself because I'm not planning on working on it. Not going anywhere, right? But we understand that the example that he gave when he's talking about competes in the games, exercises self-control. So we know what this self-control looks like, right? It's this idea that I'm going to get up every single day and do that same boring workout for no reward today. None. And I'm going to get up tomorrow and I'm going to do the same thing. You know, I think about how that, you know, this idea of taking up our cross daily. Man, I, you know, give me a dragon to slay or something. Let, let me go do that one big giant thing and be done. I would, you know, but the idea of getting up every day and be a Christian every day, to sacrifice myself every day, to give up self every day, ain't easy, is it? If it was easy, everybody, you know, everybody would do it. But it's not. And we, and we think about these images that he gives us, and we think about what that means and uh, what all goes along with that thought. Uh, we learn from it. Thing keeps skipping around on me. All right. Um, so Second Timothy uh, one seven. Um, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So where does that lack of discipline come from? Does that come from me, or does that come from God? That lack of self control. Where does that come from? typically going to be me and my my desires what i what i want really today is the problem right it's what i want today i I just can't seem to think in in long term all right second corinthians uh, 10 3 4 or through 5 for though we walk in the flesh we do not war according to the flesh 
for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Uh, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So, to what extent, that's the question here, to what extent am I working on self-control even to the control of my own thoughts? Right? Because can we be thinking something and do something else? Can we choose that? Do we do that? I hope we do. We do that, right? You're thinking this, but you go ahead and do this because, you know, you're supposed to. But when does it really become easier to do the right thing? It's when you've got your thoughts under control, right? That's when it's easier. That's when this everyday thing gets a lot easier. You think the athletes that are successful are people that have, you know, almost their thoughts, they're not battling their thoughts. They're 10 weeks in, 20 weeks in, 30 weeks into this training. Are they still battling their thoughts every day about whether or not I'm going to go do this six-hour workout? Self-denial. First uh, Corinthians eight thirteen. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Self-denial. There's some pretty good-sized sections of Scripture that deal with this subject, this idea of giving up the liberties that I have, the choices that I have, the things that I could do. It's not a sin for me to have uh, this food or that food, this, you know, talking about meat here, that would cause my brother to stumble. Well, it's because he doesn't understand, right? That's the problem. He doesn't understand. Uh but this idea of self-denial, um, Romans eight thirteen. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Ephesians four twenty two. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance uh, with the lusts of deceit. So again, like I say, this idea of self-denial. Uh, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God uh, has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in in the present age. Uh, Galatians 5, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, for the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in uh, opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So that you may not do the things that you please. Self-denial. James 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. See how important it is to control your own thoughts and how some self-control can relate back and help you with some self-denial. 1 John 2. Do not love the world nor the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So this idea of self-abasement or humility, um, would this would typically be one of the ones that we would most associate out of the list of things that I pull forward as being opposite from what the narcissist situation is, right? This would be kind of the opposite. Um, So we're going to read through some passages, um, and I want you to think about, these are just questions, ideas, things to think about as we read through them. Um, Does a humble person receive a reward in this life and in the life to come? Think about that. And is the opposite also true? What does a prideful person get, right? Are there practical purposes for choosing humility? Do sometimes we have to think about uh, some practical things to help us get through, to you know, to train our minds? Sometimes we do. Uh, are you the only one benefited or punished based on your choice and obedience to this idea of choosing humility? And 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 believe me, you choose it. You choose humility or you choose pride. It's your choice. And the question is, are you the only one benefited or punished based on your choice here? Of course, you know the answer is no. Right? Um, and think about um, what narcissism or what selfishness does to relationships and the people that count on you. Right? What can it do? So I'm going to read these passages. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Um, y'all see that part? Those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Well, you know, this idea of compassion or empathy is really difficult to have if you are the person that fills your heart. Now that I have already obtained it or have already become, uh, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, you understand, that's Paul writing that. And what's he saying? I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call. I mean, so, do y'all see his mindset there in those verses? So, there's some interesting things that I... uh, came across in some of my studies and thoughts that kind of relate back to this. I'd be glad to talk to you individually about those things. I'll I'll run out of time if I get cranked up on that. But um, when you think about the mindset that Paul has that's reflected in these verses, um, And you relate it back to this idea that he considers himself absolutely to be in possession of this crown. In other words, he is confident in his salvation, right? We read verses, passages that that communicate that he's confident uh, that he has this, but yet this is his mindset inside of that. Think about that and how those two things relate. Um, there's a good bit of depth to that. And, um, you know, like I said, I'd love to talk with you about that if you've got questions about it. Um, but basically this idea just when you think you've got it, you've lost it. Now, you know, if I get to that point where I'm done trying because I'm so great now, uh, God's waiting on me, right? He just wait, He just can't wait for me to get there. Because, you know, I got it. Uh, That would seem like a really dangerous place to be if this is Paul's mindset. Um, I got these two quotes. This last one, the humble man makes room for progress and the proud thinks he's already there. That's that's kind of a a way to think about this. Um, Let's look right here at this example that we see from Christ and and think about... um, as we read this story um, about our own rights, liberties, our perception of our own place, John 13, 1 through 17. John 13, 1 through 17. All right. Now, before the feast of, uh, the, feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that uh, his hour had come and he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the, de- the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and it was going back to God, got up from the supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. And he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wash them with the towel which he uh, was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him and said unto him, what I, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, 
he was bathed needs only to wash his feet, uh, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garment and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did uh, to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. So we see this example of service, and when we kind of go back and understand that uh, culturally this was kind of the lowest job of the low, that the, the lowest of the servants would be the ones that would wash the feet of the guests, um, that this was a significant act, not only of humility, but also of service, right? And so we see this example of um, self-abasement, humility, from Christ himself, from the king. And so as we consider that example, um, and we think about how we protect our own rights, our own liberties, um, you know, how we think about how we look. You know, think about how that would look. Christ, it, it, we're not very far from Pilate asking him if he's the king. Does this, does this fit with building a story of I'm the king? How does this look? Right? And so when we think about this example of, of not only service, but this idea of self-abasement or humility and uh, how that plays into God's plan for us, um, it's very important um, that we embrace fully what the meaning of this example is. Um, these are some concluding thoughts um, here in Romans 12, verse 3. For, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each uh, a measure of faith. Um, and, you know, Think about the verses that precede those, that, you know, the, those first two verses there. But um, don't think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment. Um, kind of remember these passages that we've read this morning. Um, and, you know, if you catch yourself focusing on self, you know, try to turn those thoughts to self-control or self-denial or self-abasement. And try to remember the example that we just read. You know, if that's a helpful thing to keep at the forefront of your mind, the idea of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, do that. Keep, you know, keep that in your thoughts uh, if this is something that you struggle with. Um, and... Um, 
remember these things as we um, interact with others. Understand that this is uh, a real issue, uh, that this is a difficulty uh, that is uh, pretty significant uh, in the world around us, um, and I'm sure with us. And so uh, these are things that um, we need to work on together and things that we need to think about uh, as struggles that uh, folks have around us as we're trying to help others uh, to reach the goal of heaven. Um, If uh, you would, get your songbooks out. And if you find yourself subject to Christ's invitation, we would invite you to uh, come forward as we stand and sing the songs been selected.